0: church let's give him praise because of who he is father we thank you God because of who you are and Jesus Jesus we thank you That's a it's a powerful statement and a revelation for us to, to to have this morning I was thinking about it specifically when we were singing gratitude Because let's be honest, it's in our nature and it's certainly in our culture today to respond to God with a, what have you done for me lately mentality. But in reality, it's this attitude of gratitude that we're singing about that gets us through the valley of the shadow of death that Cindy was sharing with us earlier, right? When we understand who he is, we can walk through the valleys because we know he's the one leading us to calm rivers and to green pastures. So maybe for you today, you just need to be reminded of that. Reminded of who he is, that whatever season of life you're in today, it's all good because he's the one that's leading you. And when you know the one who's leading you, then you also know that the destination is good because he's gonna lead you into what is good. I'm thankful that in the valleys, God reminds me of who he is, amen? If that's you today and you needed to hear that, and you just want to thank him for reminding you of who he is today. Would you just give him a hand clap of praise? You guys can be seated. And thank you so much, team, for leading us into God's presence today, reminding of us of the, that powerful truth. You know, I am so proud to be the lead pastor of Fountain of Life Church. Can I just say that today? There you go. Give yourselves a hand clap. (laughs) One of the things that I hear on a regular basis when people come visit this church is they talk about how warm and welcoming it was, that how it's like a big family that they felt cared for, they felt acknowledged. Um, and, and people are always uh, singing your praises for just how welcoming and friendly you are. And I begin to think about that, and I'm, I'm grateful of that. And this is all running through my mind as we're singing this morning. And I'm like, man, this church is great. Like, it's, it's full of so many great people. But then God began to remind me of the, the church in Acts. And the people in the, in the first church, the early church, lived so countercultural, uh, they were so Christ-like, they were so generous that the Bible says that he added to their number daily those who were being saved. And there's a lot of life here at Fountain of Life Church. But I'm reminded that we're called to be so much more than a super welcoming and friendly church. And I want to pastor a church that lives up to its name, fountain of life, not just a place where there is life, but a place where life is bubbling out from us to the point where it begins to grow and there is life springing up all around us. And as I've been talking about over these past few weeks, there's just times seasons, situations, circumstances, people, things that so often come, and even though we know the truth, they get in the way and they serve as a cork that clogs up the outflow that God wants to see happening in our lives as individuals and as well as a church. And I believe what God wants to do at Fountain of Life is uncork the fountain to remove whatever it is that's holding us back so that life comes bubbling out of us once again. Not just a trickling stream, but a geyser bursting forth. Uh, There's a sleeping giant here at Fountain of Life. I believe that with all of my heart. And that it's just a matter of time that when we wake up uh, and become all that God has wants us to be, we're gonna see God explode in this place. Not only is the church going to grow and more people are going to be saved, but we're going to begin to see even more um, outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And we're going to see God moving in this place on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday evenings, at special prayer meetings, at nights of pursuit and worship in ways that we haven't seen before. And so what God wants to do in our church today is to uncork the fountain. We talked about this in week one, how God is a God, not of addition, but of multiplication. And what we meant by that is it's it's a mentality that his church has. An addition mentality is what can I gain? What can I add to what I already have? But a multiplication mentality is how can I reproduce? How can I increase exponentially? And so God has a vision for both you as as an individual but for the entire world. And he is going to change our focus. If we'll allow him, he will change our focus from me to we. He'll change our focus from addition to multiplication. And last week we learned that sometimes God actually provides for us and gives us what we need when we serve other people. That as we step out and we serve, sometimes even out of our own need, Sometimes even when our calendars are a little too full, uh, sometimes when we're feeling a little bit stretched, it is in the act of serving that God shows up and does a mighty work in our own life because that's the good God that we serve, that when we serve, there's something in it for both parties involved. And so as people of God, as people that have the fountain of life bubbling up with them, which again, that name comes from what John told the woman at the well in in, uh, John chapter... What is that for, right? John chapter four, the woman at the well, he says that if anyone drinks of the water I will give, they will never thirst again, but instead it will become a fountain life or or a living spring that wells up within them. And so as a living being, we are giving things. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, every living thing is a giving thing. We see this in nature. We see this in God's creation. The earth produces plants and trees and things that sustain life. A tree has leaves on it. Those leaves help produce the oxygen in the air that we breathe. Trees also, a lot of trees produce fruit, which provides nourishment for us. And even when that fruit falls from the tree, and dies and rots, there's seed inside of that fruit that goes into the ground, which can uh, produce more trees. And so we look around and we see, the, we see this, and, and, and sometimes they call it the circle of life. And I think it's important to understand that the circle of life is a circle of giving. God never created anything to just take and never give. Why? Because it's in the nature of our creator. And so naturally his thumbprint is going to be on everything that he has made. And so he has designed us in all of creation to be giving and living things. Giving is a sign of life, just as not giving is a sign of death. Somebody say, dead things don't give. So one of the things we talked about is the cork of fear that has stopped up the fountain of life. That oftentimes it's fear that holds us back from being generous. Sometimes the key to uncorking the fountain of life within is what we'll be talking about today. Sometimes it's an act of extravagant generosity. Above and beyond, not just what can I spare but what do I have the opportunity to give? And so just for a few minutes at your table, we're gonna discuss this question. When have you witnessed or experienced extravagant generosity? That is generosity that is above and beyond, generosity that surprises and shocks, and describe the impact it made on the person giving, the person receiving, and the people watching. So let's discuss at our tables, and then we're gonna get into God's word. All right. Inspiring stories being shared all over this room today. Pretty amazing, just the power that an extravagant gift can do, an extravagant um, act of generosity. Um, I, was, I was just remembering a time, and this, trust me, this is not a humble brag, um, but, uh, but uh, my wife and I went out to eat and... Um, it was pretty recently after the COVID restrictions, were just kind of being lifted. And so uh, we had a waiter and he comes up to our table. I just begin to make conversation with him like, how have things been going for you? Um, I'm sure the pandemic really impacted your finances being in food service. And, and uh, he just began to kind of open up and share that, yeah, it's been a real struggle. Um, he's trying to take care of a kid and uh, pay his bills. And it was difficult. Um, so he walks away and Ashley turns to me and she goes, you're going to give him a big tip, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so we went up to, to pay at the front. It was one of those restaurants where you take your receipt up to the, the cashier and you check it out. And so we put in there a uh, $100 tip because that's what I felt like God laid upon my heart to do. And so made no big to do about it we just handed it in and we walked out to the car and as we're walking out in the car this waiter comes running out of the restaurant and he's shouting hey wait hold on hold on And so we turn around and uh, he runs up to us and he's like, why did you do that? That was like so amazing. You have no idea how much I needed that. That's amazing. And so of course I was able to use that as an opportunity to say, I did that because I believe God spoke to me and said that you were in need and I just wanted to bless you. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you very much and that's all that was right there was Jesus saying, I love you. And in that moment, it had such an incredible impact on this man, why? Because he was in genuine need. He wasn't expecting anything I'm sure beyond an average tip but because God placed it upon someone's heart to bless him, it was like a big neon sign from heaven saying, I see you. That's the power of generosity and I think sometimes We're a little bit tight-fisted because we don't see the significance of what we have to give. We're we're worried like, oh man, if I give a $100 tip or something crazy like that, like maybe that money could have been well-spent. I don't know what that waiter is going to do with that $100. Uh, may, maybe I, what if I'm going to need that later? And so we, we diminish um, the impact that our generosity can have. And then what we do is we over-exaggerate what we might need it for. But generosity has a powerful way of changing your perspective. You know, scripture reminds us of something very powerful that when you live generously, there's actually a reward in it for you. Here's a few examples. Proverbs 19, 17 says, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Now, you can totally get that sidewise and go way to prosperity gospel, right? And, and, and just expect that every time you're generous to someone, God's gonna somehow give you twice as much cash back, right? Like it's some sort of Costco Visa rewards program. But in reality, when it says God will repay you, it means that it's gonna return as a blessing to you. And those blessings, how many of you know, if you've experienced generosity and and being generous, those blessings come in all different types of forms. Sheila talked about the joy that it gave her and the fulfillment as she reached out and she was very generous to a food server as well. And sometimes it comes back as, as joy. Uh, Sometimes it comes back, it's just knowing that you impacted that person's life. But another thing we're reminded of that in scripture, it says to store up our treasures in heaven. So we also know that there's an eternal reward that happens when we give to the poor. I love that when it says you're lending to the Lord, because if there's anyone, excuse me, if there's anyone you can count on paying you back, if there's anybody who's good for it, it's the Lord. So powerful. In Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 and 25, it says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. That term, gives freely, means to disperse or scatter abroad and this is the image that it puts in my head. It's it's a word that would be used to describe a, a farmer sowing seed. Now how do you know that a farmer does not go out and plant seeds like this. Okay. Scoop it, cover it up. Okay, that's good. Now let's see where's the perfect most enriched soil Okay, I gotta find the right spot. I'm gonna take this seed, I'm gonna put it right here. Okay, if he took that much time and he overthought every single seed that he planted, the guy's gonna starve to death, right? But in reality, when a farmer sows the seed, it looks more like this. Who's gonna volunteer to vacuum later? <laughs> Right. This looks wasteful, doesn't it? It seems reckless, it seems excessive, it seems out of control. But you know why it seems that way? Because you don't understand the potential of the seed. You don't understand the power of what is being sowed. And so a farmer doesn't treat, see see in a sense this seed is his food, right? This is what's going to feed his family, and then he's gonna have extra, and he's gonna sell the crop. And so this is his livelihood. But what if he only saw the seed as his food, and he just began to eat it? Would it fill his belly? It might, but one time. And I'm telling you right now, church, that when we struggle with generosity, we're eating our seed. We're seeing the things that God has given us as a meal, when in reality, it's a seed to be sown. And if we will begin to generously sow and abundantly sow with blessing into other people's lives, God promises that he will pay us back. God wants to continue to provide for us, but we need to sow the seed. I wanna tell you this morning, church, quit eating your seed. I wanna talk to you about the power of extravagant generosity. This is generosity to the next level. The generosity that makes us a little bit nervous or uncomfortable. You know, I'm not here to tell you to be foolish with your finances, but I wanna tell you something that I've said here before. I've done some work on the streets Um, And I've shared Jesus in downtown Dallas, and downtown Phoenix. I've gone out with Steve uh, to the parks to to minister to the homeless. And I have yet to meet a single homeless person that says, how did did I get here? Well, I gave all my money away. I, I, I gave it all to the local church. And now I'm broke and I don't have anything to eat. Or I used it to help people that I loved in need, and that's why I'm here on the streets. I've yet to meet that person. Now, might there be someone out there who maybe had a manipulative family member that cheated them out of all their money? Absolutely. But I've never met someone that got there because they were too generous. Have you ever heard somebody say you can't outgive God? I think that's what that means. It doesn't mean that that you're just foolish with your money, but if you, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, give something sacrificially, you can trust that God is gonna take care of you. I wanna challenge you simply to give extravagantly, to begin to step into extravagant generosity for whatever that means for you. And there's four ways that I'm gonna share with you that you can give that will multiply blessing in your life. So don't get this confused. This is not a prosperity message. This is not me standing up here and saying, um, if you give the church $100, I'll give you this miracle water, and if you drink it, you'll be healed. Or you can pour this on your wallet, and it's gonna multiply your bank account, right? That's not what this message is. But what this is, is the truth of God's word, the principles that are in his word. This is not a mathematical equation, but it's a promise and a principle that if you live this way, you will be blessed. That God will provide for everything that you need and he will give you more so that you can continue to bless others. So there's four ways that we give. Because how many of you know it's not just what you do, but sometimes it's how you do it or the attitude in which you do it. So number one is we give joyfully. Number two, we give with eternity in mind. Number three, we give fearlessly. And number four, we give abundantly. And so before we open up God's word today, I want to invite you to stand with me one, one more time. Grab your Bibles if you've got one. If you use your, your phone app, you can grab that too. And we're just going to remind ourselves, I tell you, you, we always need to remind, be reminded of this. But man, there's something about when the pastor starts talking about our wallet, where we go, Rrr, it kind of creates these uncomfortable, cringy moments, right? And we're like, oh, suddenly I just mistrust everyone. So we just need to remind ourselves that the author of this book is not Pastor Joe Skeen's right? But this was, ins- this is the inspired word of God. And so we're going to read this statement together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. This is my Bible. It is God's word. When I read it and live it, anything is possible. That's the old one. I don't know how that got in there. Usually it's, I will become everything it says that I am, but close enough, right? Yeah. Broadcast seating, I love it, duly noted. All right, so we're gonna be in Psalm 112 today. If you wanna turn in your Bibles there, it's great, because I could put, you know, fake words on the screen, you don't know, so turn in your Bibles and follow along. Before we read it, I wanna tell you something very interesting about this Psalm. You know, a lot of theologians believe that Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 were meant to be read together. And if you read them both, you'll see, it's very interesting and unique that they fit together like, like two pieces of a puzzle. Because Psalm 111 spends a lot of time talking about who God is. Like we sing, because of who you are, I give you glory. It talks about his goodness. Um, and it, How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. Um, everything he does reveals his glory, his righteousness never fails, and it just goes on and on about the character and qualities of God. And then we transition into Psalm 112, which puts the focus on the people of God. And if I could just draw a conclusion for you this morning before I begin to read, I'm reminded of this, this statement that I believe is very true, that you become what you worship. And as you are reminded of the characters and qualities of God, you'll be inspired to be like him, to live like him and to have an attitude like him. It's, it's even in, in the New Testament that Paul says to have the attitude of Christ. And so this is something that is not only, uh, we're not only capable of doing, but we're expected to do. And so let's keep that in mind as we read Psalm 112. Y'all ready? All right, here we go. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous and compassionate and righteous. God comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. The wicked will see this and be infuriated." They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away their hopes thwarted. Father, would you just illuminate your scriptures to us today so that they can take root and set out uh, to, to accomplish what they were set out to do. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So we become like what we worship. And this psalm describes the transformation that should be taking place inside each and every one of us. Verse one says something very interesting. How joyful are those who fear the Lord? Does anybody find it at least a little bit unusual that you would hear a statement uh, that uh, connects fear and joy together? I've got this fear of the Lord, and the result of that is joy. Well, how does that work? Well, let's let's get to that in a second. But in 2 Corinthians nine, seven and eight, Paul is instructing the church on giving, and this is what he says. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. It matters what's in our heart when we give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion or because a pastor told you you must, (laughs) for God loves a cheerful giver. So how do joy and fear go hand in hand in the context of giving? This is how I understand it. When you understand that God is all powerful, that he has the power and the ability to just destroy us with one word, but then you realize that instead he uses that power to bless you, to keep you, and to protect you that's joy. As a young boy, I was one of those kids that thought my dad could beat up everybody else's dad. And especially because he would tell me his, his, uh, his war stories of when he used to be a fighter. Um, his, da- his, his dad trained him to be a boxer as a teenager. And um, I'm not sure how good he actually was because I've only known my, my dad as he is now, right? And, um, and, uh, but he used to talk about how he was so quick on his feet and he'd just dance around with his hands behind his back and nobody could hit him. And so I just built this man up in my mind like he was just indestructible and he could beat everybody up. And you know, uh, when my dad got angry, sometimes fear would come over me because I knew in my heart of hearts, that if he wanted to, he could tear me apart. But that fear usually subsided because I remembered his love for me. And I remembered that he uses his strength and his power to protect me, to lead me, and to show me what it means to be a man. And that gave me confidence. And so therefore... If I walked into a dangerous situation, but I had my father next to my side, he might have a dad bod, but I know he's got a background in boxing. I know he's got the ability to handle himself and that's gonna make me have confidence going into every situation. So listen to this in the context of giving. When you fear God, you don't need to fear not having enough. When you fear God, you don't have to fear giving. Because the fear of the Lord will change the way you give. You won't give out of compulsion. You won't give out of fear, but you will give joyfully. And the result of of that giving will bring you even more joy. That word cheerful is from the Greek word hilaros, which means disposed or willing because satisfied. It's describing someone who is cheerfully ready to act because already approving. They've already been persuaded, won over, already inclined. It reminds me of when Joshua challenged the people of Israel and he said, choose this day who you will serve. Well, why did he say that? I'm, uh, deep down he probably knew at some point they're gonna rebel and if you read the Old Testament that's exactly what happened but why would he say choose this day who you will serve he didn't say choose every day he said choose this day why because he wanted them to be predisposed to have already decided in their heart so when the moment comes and their faith is tested and their obedience is tested they had already made the decision They won't uh, waste any time debating whether or not they should or should not, because they've decided beforehand. And so this is how God wants us to give. It doesn't mean we should always give in every circumstance, that we should never use wisdom, but our disposition is to be one that is already inclined to give. I lean that way. I already lean that way. We talked about which way you lean in our past series, right? And when you're leaning in towards generosity, then it makes it easier to give because you're already in that position. So multiplication comes when you are already cheerfully inclined to give. This person's attitude is not, I have to give. This person's attitude is, I get to give. I get to be a part of what God has done. On Christmas morning, which is coming up in just like a little over a month, crazy, right? Someone usually gets tasked with being, you know, Santa. What I mean by that is the person that distributes the gifts. And does anybody in here enjoy being that person on Christmas morning, right? And you, you probably didn't purchase all those gifts. If you're a parent, you probably purchased a lot of them right? But when you're with a big group of family, you're opening presents together. It's not even about who purchased the gift. You like being the one that divvies them out and seeing the smile on the face of that person when they unwrap the wrapping paper. And yet in that moment, you're not tight-fisted about those gifts. You're not like, oh, should I give this person? I mean, it's got his name on it. Should I give it? No, no, no. Because you understand somebody else bought that gift and you're simply the delivery person to distribute that gift this is the mentality that god wants us to have when it comes to generosity understanding that everything i have belongs to god it wasn't mine in the first place but i get the joy of being the delivery person this is hey look god has this for you he gave it to me to give it to you that is true joy That is true freedom. He goes on in the next verse to say, God is able to make all grace abound to you. I just love how so many uh, of these describing words talk about abundance and, and excess and multiplication. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Paul is really trying to reassure us that in our generosity, we'll have all sufficiency in every situation at all times. He says, you may abound in every good work. God blesses us so that we can abound in good works. And when we joyfully, we give joyfully instead of reluctantly, God causes his grace, his undeserved favor to abound you'll have more than enough through God's spirit to continue in the good works that he has for you to do. This is multiplied not only to those who give, but to our own homes. I love how the Psalm here promises in verse two, their children will be successful. I've gotta stay here and camp on this for a little bit. Their children will be successful. We are a part of a generation today that, Having successful children is priority number one. And we wear it like a badge of honor. I have my kid involved in every extracurricular activity under the sun. I make sure that they are enrolled in all AP classes. um, And I involve them in everything. And when there's time, because God's important to me too, I bring them to church. When there's leftover time, I make sure, if they don't have too much homework, that I take them to youth group on Wednesday nights. Uh, I I, I encourage them to read their Bible and pray, but I don't want to make them do that. Do, Do we see the problem here? God doesn't define success the same way that you and I define success. And I'm here to tell you today that there are parents whose children have become their idols. And as a result, they and their children are suffering because they're emphasizing everything in this world that is temporary and that will pass away while neglecting the eternal. What a huge mistake. So to focus on providing our children with experiences that we think will benefit them in this life robs them of The eternal blessing. What are we really teaching our kids, I wonder? What legacy are we leaving them? See, the promise in this psalm is that if we train them up in in what? Remember what it was? The way that it should go. If we train them up in righteousness, then they will be blessed. They will be successful. Why? Because they've been trained in Righteousness. So when I read that, I read that should be the ultimate priority of every parent is that I raise a child that loves the Lord. I raise a child that, lo- that loves the scripture. I raise a child that loves his presence, that wants to worship him, that wants to fulfill his purpose for God on this earth. That's my number one priority. So how can I say that that's my number one priority when all I require them to offer God is what they have left over their spare time, their spare change, their second thought. But on the flip side, church, when your children see you give of your finances, your gifts, your talents, your time, and you do it in this attitude with a smile on your face, if you serve other people joyfully, you're giving them something that a university cannot provide for them. You're giving them something that a sport cannot provide for them. You're giving something, them something that will follow them to heaven. But my concern is that we've replaced those things that are eternal with those things that are passing away. And if we're not careful, our children will pass away with them. We've got to leave a legacy of righteousness C.S. Lewis said this, and I've quoted this multiple times because it's one of my favorite things he's ever said. He says, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Let me ask you this, church. Are our actions training our children to have an earthly mindset? an eternal mindset. We often will say that if you want to know where someone's heart is, look at their credit card bill. How many times did they swipe it at McDonald's and uh, uh, whatever, Payway, just random restaurants I'm thinking of, Red Lobster, right? Where your treasure is, the Bible says, there your heart will be also. Did you know that your time is currency? Did you know that your time is the same way? Like, what what are you devoting your time to? What are you involving your children's time in? And at what priority? Because you're training them. We need to put eternity back into the hearts of our children. If this generation is going to be saved, if this generation is going to experience revival, it's because they're going to have eternity in their mind and at the forefront. Life squared is about the next generation being blessed through us. And the example we set has long lasting effects. Do you remember in Ephesians 5, 1, Paul says that to imitate God, therefore in everything you do because you are his children. Another another translation says, as dearly loved children, we should imitate God, why? Because that's what kids do. They imitate, they're always watching. And sometimes it is not to your benefit that they're always watching. (laughs) I remember stumbling upon my children playing house. Every child does it. And it sounds cute from a distance until I get closer and I realize one of them's obviously me. What a, one of them's obviously mom. And you're waiting for them to be like, all right, guys, it's bedtime. Let's say our prayers and read the scriptures, right? And I love you so much. No, is that what they repeated? No. What they repeated was a familiar argument or angry response. Something like, You kids never listen. I've told you a thousand times to not do this, and yet you do it again and again. And they're playing out this scene. It's not one of my more shining moments. And I'm frustrated, and I'm offended, because I'm like, I have showered you with love and affection. I provide for you. I spend time with you. You didn't want to pretend that we were out throwing the ball. Right and having a good time. You didn't wanna pretend that I was giving you hugs and kisses. You went straight to that. I was very offended, but I gotta be honest. There's something about what our kids repeat that tells us what it is that we're truly showing them and revealing them. Now, I don't think that that's the majority of my response, but it was enough to make a deep impact on them. And so I have to ask myself the question, How do I wanna be remembered by my children? And how are my actions affecting them? What are my actions revealing to them? What are my actions teaching them about God's character? What are my actions teaching them about generosity? All that is so important. Because we serve a God who is extravagantly generous, and we are his children, and we must imitate him because our children will imitate us. Alexander McLaren said the worshiper is to be like his God. So it should be with us. Worship is or should be adoration of and yearning after the highest conceivable good. Such an attitude must necessarily lead to imitation and be crowned by resemblance. I love that. So what he's saying is that as dearly loved children, we will imitate God and our crown, our honor, Our glory is that we look like Jesus. But for many of us, that's not even our priority. That's not even our mentality. But what we want to teach them instead is how to be successful on this earth. It is possible, church, and even expected that someone look at you and in this context, the way that you give, and they see Jesus. What would a generosity like that look like? That when I act out this generously, people see Jesus in me. Finally, in verse three, it says, they will be wealthy. Their good deeds will last forever, forever. Number two is give with an eternal mindset. By the way, I hope you guys are following along in your Go Deep guides. Forgot to mention that earlier. Um, if you're in here, you don't have a Go Deep Guide and you want one, could you just lift up your hand real quick so that our ushers can get you one? We encourage you to use those and follow along. Take them home. Make them a part of your devotions. But he says it says, it says here number two: give with an eternal mindset. Notice in this scripture what will last forever and what won't. What will last forever is their good deeds. What will last forever is their righteousness. What will not last forever, the gift will not last forever. But so many times, church, we, we fall into the trap of living like the opposite is true. Our actions are communicating that our treasures will last forever and that our good deeds won't really make a difference. We need to stop eating our seed Verse four says, light shines in the darkness for the godly. Light shines is from this uh, Hebrew word that was commonly used to describe the sun rising. I I love that imagery. This isn't just this little trickle of light, but it's the sun rising and illuminating the earth. And it says that it will shine in the darkness. That word darkness reminds us that even the godly will face darkness. For you and me, though, the sun will rise even in the darkest night. And it goes on in verse four to describe the righteous person that they are generous, compassionate, and righteous. These characteristics, generosity being one of them, and a theme that is chief, I think, in this passage, have a direct correlation to the light that is promised for those who fear God. It is righteous character that God desires to bless. God has been pouring out his blessings on the generous for thousands of years. And today, I have to believe he desires to bless his church. But his church that he wants to bless is a generous church. The church that he wants to bless is a compassionate church. The church that he wants to bless is a righteous church. He says in verse five, good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. What this is describing is people who feel compassion for those in need. And so they form a lender relationship with them because it is mutually beneficial. That even in their business, they're not greedy. I think we fall into a trap at times is compartmentalizing our Christian lives to say, okay, well, that's just not how it works in the business world. Like if you wanna get ahead, sometimes you gotta step on people. If you wanna get ahead, sometimes you gotta fib. Sometimes you gotta be dishonest to get ahead. And as long as I pay my tithes, I feel okay about it. We cannot not afford to compartmentalize our Christian life. Christians must be generous in both business and in charity. Not the kind of, this isn't the kind of lending that we're familiar with. When we hear lend, I think we think of credit cards where the purpose of the credit card is that they they let you know that the minimum payment is only this much, right? Because they want you to only pay that minimum payment, realizing that over the course of your lifetime of debt, you will pay them multiple times what you borrowed in interest. They wanna keep you enslaved to debt for the rest of your life. The Bible doesn't talk about lending that way. The righteous lend in an effort to empower others to provide and to make their dreams a possibility, to provide what they need. They don't just give to charge interest, but they give sometimes without even expecting a return. And we go back to Proverbs where it says, those who lend to the poor, God will repay them. The way a Christian does business should be different, amen? His goal is not to make more money, but to make more of a difference. Some of you have been blessed in business so that you can make a difference. So don't get that skewed. Don't miss that because as a result, you'll miss out on God's multiplication. And in verse six, it says the righteous will not be overcome by evil and that they will be long remembered. And verse seven says they do not fear bad news. Number three is this, give fearlessly. We all face evil. There's evil in this world but we will not be overcome by it. See, generous people still get sick sometimes. Generous people still uh, have unexpected expenses sometimes. Sometimes the vehicle breaks down. Uh, Sometimes something goes wrong with the house, you need a $15,000 new air conditioning unit, right? Anybody been there? But the promise is that we will overcome. You know who's routinely overcome though? The selfish, stingy man the person who always looks out for number one, that person in his efforts to preserve himself in his own life has made himself vulnerable to things like greed, which is a sickness, the mistreatment of others, hurtful words, lies, mistrust, broken relationships until eventually that person ends up in isolation. And when their money runs out or they lose that job, they have nowhere to turn. But verse seven says that the righteous do not fear bad news. Why? Because when you've rested under the blessing of God, you've experienced his care. You trust him in the good and the bad. And this confidence empowers us to continue to live out generously in every season, even when times are a little tight. Verse eight says that they're confident and fearless and they can face their foes. They can face Their enemies, because their righteousness and generosity is more than just one single act, but it's a rhythm in their life. Verse 7 tells us that they actively trust in the Lord for their needs every day. And this is not something you do once and then your problems go away, but this is a lifestyle. I invite Aubrey to come up and, and join us on the keys as we close. In verse nine, it repeats something that it says earlier. It says, they share freely, give generously to those in need. The final point for this morning is this. Number four, give abundantly. Share freely, scattered is what that word means. And it takes us back to this image, scattering, scattering the seed, that our generosity should look a lot like that farmer spreading the wealth, not wasting, but understanding that anything given in obedience to God with a heart of generosity will come with a return. It's not wasteful, but God has a purpose and a plan for it. He says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, that's backing up earlier in the scripture we were in before. Says remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. One of the things that we're gonna do is we're gonna give you an opportunity uh, next Sunday. And I wanna ask you right now to begin to pray about it and begin to ask God, because again, what we're told by Paul here in 2 Corinthians is no one should give begrudgingly or because you feel like your arm has been twisted or you feel like you have to do it to get to heaven or all the other ways that I could try to manipulate you to give, but you should give according to what God puts on your heart because God loves a cheerful giver. So one of the things that we do here every year at the end of the year is we take up an end of the year offering. And I just want to stop for a moment and thank you as a church for being faithful in your giving. Because I know for many of you, it's been difficult financially. And I want to acknowledge that, that sometimes it's harder to give because financially things are tight. And it's been Reflected, I think, um, in the church's giving this year. As you guys have been suffering, the giving's gone down and that's to be expected. But what is incredible is because many of you have stayed faithful, we've been able to assist people this year in rent, electricity bills, multiple times. You know why? Because we have a benevolence fund that you guys are regularly giving towards. And because of that, that even when we go through times of need, the church has been able to reach out and to help. I think that's what God had in mind when he said, bring the entire tithe into the storehouse so that there will always be food in my house. So thank you for those of you that remain faithful in your giving. And I just want to ask you to begin to pray about what God might lay upon your heart to give, which is above and beyond the tithe. Something that maybe might even be extravagant. Now listen, this principle of generosity does not just apply to the local church. Generosity applies to the waiter or waitress the next door neighbor, whoever you come into contact who is in need. So don't think that this is just a way to manipulate you so the church can get more money out of you. But I do wanna tell you that as a church, oftentimes by the time we get to the end of the year, there's a little bit of a shortfall. But as of last year, for example, we did an end of the year offering And because people gave above and beyond, not only was there not a shortfall, but there was a little bit extra. So there's some things that we have need of right now, things that are gonna help us do ministry, things that are just gonna help us be good stewards of this building. Uh, One of the things is, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, this carpet is like 30 years old. That's an estimate, but it's multiple decades, I know that. And if you look around, especially when the tables are picked up, we have stains this big around all over the place. Not only that, but I don't know if you realize this, not that this matters that much, but Teal's kind of out of style, (laughs) right? So that's just one small thing. That's a material thing, but God has given us this building. And so we should take really good care of it. We should try to upkeep it. We should try to make it look its best. Not because that's the end all be all, because we wanna take care of what God has blessed us with. That's just one thing. But every year we take portions of that, that, that end of the year offering to put into things like scholarships for youth camp and kids camp. Things that if it weren't for that extra act of generosity at the end of the year, we wouldn't be able to invest in those things. So would you pray this week about what God might ask you to give next week? Let's wrap up here. Verse nine says, they will have influence and honor. I love that. They will have influence and honor. When someone lives in an abundantly generous way, it produces more than a monetary return. It creates a reputation. It gives favor in the eyes of men and women that opens up doors for opportunity, not just for self advancement, but to make a real impact and to have influence on the culture around you in your circle of influence. Sometimes it brings a seat at an important decision-making table, respect that can be cashed in to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And I love how in verse 10, he just kind of throws this in. It will infuriate the wicked. Understand that when you live selflessly and in generosity, People are gonna become envious and angry. They're gonna question your morals. They're gonna accuse you of things that you didn't do. And what a blessing because oftentimes opposition is evidence that you're headed in the right direction. I'd be concerned for our church if we never faced any opposition or criticism because we're probably not doing anything important that matters. You'll gain favor with some, but anger and jealousy from others. But the good news is that you'll triumph over those who would love to see you fall. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want you to think about something as we we close in prayer. How is God challenging you to step into multiplication through extravagant generosity? I want to pray for you. Then, We're gonna transition. I don't know if you guys recognize this this morning. we got a baptism that's happening today. We're gonna talk about that in a minute, but would you just lift your hands with me as a sign of surrender and let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this church. And first I wanna pray for those that are in need right now. Those that are in between jobs, those that are in great need of of a raise, those that are having trouble making ends meet, those that quite honestly are are, are stressed and worried, I pray God that that fear would be released, that they would trust in you and they would experience your faithfulness and your generosity today, Father God. Right now, I ask that you would begin to speak to us throughout this week. God, speak to me too about what I should give, about how I can give above and beyond what I normally do not just so we can keep the lights on, but so that we can make a great impact on this neighborhood you've called us to. We thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, I wanna challenge you to come prepared next week to give, you can go ahead and be seated now. And um, at this time, we are going to partake in something that is a reminder of the generosity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Baptism is symbolic of what Christ did for us on the cross. The Bible teaches us that as we're submerged in water, that it's a representation that the old us has died. And when we come up out of the water, It's acknowledging that God's resurrecting power in his Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now has made his home in our heart and empowers us to live a brand new life. And today I'm very excited because we have a young lady, 12 years old, who received Christ into her life for the first time here at this church just a few months ago. And we're so proud of her for the decision that she's made. And today she says, I wanna make my commitment to Jesus public, announcing that I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I'm so excited to see this young lady grow into the woman of God that she's been called to be. So I wanna invite Annabelle to come down to the tank here. And I'm gonna invite Nadia to come. Here, I'll hold that for you. Oh no, you hold it. I got it all backwards. So Nadia, if you guys don't know Nadia yet, if you're new here, she is our youth pastor. And so since Annabelle is a youth, um, she has the honor today of performing the baptism. And so I'm going to go ahead and just let you take it away from here. You good? All right, go for it.
1: I just have a couple questions for you. The first one is, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for your sins and so he can have a relationship with you? Yes. And do you promise that you're going to try your best to live for Christ every day moving forward after this? Yes. Awesome. That's all.
0: Yes. So now just come around to the back here, ladies. So you're just going to... Do you want to take your shoes off? Okay, yeah, slip those off. Awesome. Yep, so just swing your leg over. And we're going to actually, once you get in, we're going to have you turn around, but you can, yeah, just one, one foot over. I got you. There you go. We got you. We got you. Okay, and then actually, can you turn around and face that way? Okay, and you're going to sit right here, knees bent. And so you're going to need to scoot forward so you have room to go backwards, okay? Okay. Perfect. All right, take it away, Nadia. (laughs) Oh
1: yeah, there you go. Lord, I just thank you for Annabelle. Yes, Father. I thank you that she has just made the best decision she could ever make to have a relationship with you. I thank you that you brought her here to this church so that we can show her you through our actions. You, Jesus. Lord, I pray that as she moves forward, she would just continue to be such a light in a dark place, God. Yes, Lord. You would continue to use her.
0: Thank you, Jesus. Hold it for you. Yeah.
1: Lord, upon the confession that you have made today, that in your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Awesome.
2: Yes.
0: You're brand new, girl. Yeah. Awesome. Want to get her towel for her? She'll so be a little slippery now, so give me your hand. Be careful. There you go. Praise God. Here you go. Get dry. Here's her glasses, and we're not quite done yet because what we've witnessed is something that God wants for every single one of us. Could I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes in prayer one more time? What's been demonstrated to you today is a life that was and now has been made brand new if you're in the room today and you don't have a relationship with this God that we talk about, you've come to know by the conviction of God's spirit today that you need God's forgiveness in your life because only he can remove your guilt. It can't be removed because you've done a lot of good deeds. It can only be removed because he paid the penalty for your sins for you. And you say, today, I want to repent. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to place my trust in him for salvation. And I want to begin a relationship with him like Annabelle has done. If that's you in the room today, would you just quickly raise your hand? All we want to do is pray with you to invite Jesus into your life and to receive his forgiveness. Anybody in the room, just go ahead and lift your hand up real quick and we'll pray for you. awesome. I also want to extend that invitation to anyone watching online right now. And we're going to have everybody in the house today just repeat this prayer after me. And if you're here or you're watching online and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, say this prayer with us. You guys ready? Repeat this prayer after me. Say Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. You know everything about me. You know everything I've done wrong and you still love me. I come before you today, repenting, turning away from my old life. I ask you for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe that Jesus, you are God's son and that you came to earth to die for my sins and you rose from the dead, proving that you are God. I invite you into my life. I ask for your Holy Spirit and I commit to live for you and not for myself from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give God some praise? Believing that somebody prayed that prayer for the first time today. And if that's you, maybe you didn't even raise your hand, but you prayed that prayer for the first time today. Would you please come and talk to me and let me know or let, why don't you let your table host know because we've got a Bible for you that we wanna get in your hands so that you'll know what that next step is in your relationship with Jesus, amen? Praise God. Would you guys uh, welcome Johanny as he comes? He's gonna lead us into a time of offering and announcements and close out our gathering today.
2: Thank you, Johanny. Thank you, Pastor Joe. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a wonderful preaching today. And before we pray for the offering, I wanted to remind you that next week we're going to have, um, we're going to go through our neighborhood and we're asking you to be the church. We're going to be the feet of Jesus. We're going to go out through the neighborhood and we're going to invite them for the hay ride that we're going to have um, the 17th. Okay? And we're going to invite them for the Christmas series. And we're going to go to the house and we're going to be praying for people when they give you the opportunity. And we're going to have some gift that we're going to give. To go to get a coffee and the church you're gonna do that okay
0: i'll use this so first of all Johanny's doing an awesome job but i should have briefed him better uh, because i want you to understand it a little bit better not only are we are we bringing gifts this year if you remember when we've done this in the past we've had little five dollar gift cards Um, to like Starbucks or Dutch Bros and stuff like that, which is awesome because then instead of soliciting, we're showering people with gifts, we're being good neighbors. This year we're upping the ante. We're gonna have more cards and there's gonna be a few that we're, we're gonna have like $25 gift cards to Fry's grocery store so we can meet some actual needs. So this gives us an opportunity that when someone actually answers their door and they don't ignore us, we can bless them with a gift before we invite them because we're not coming to just get them to be a part of what we're doing, but we're coming to be a blessing. And that's how God is gonna multiply our impact in this community. And so just to be clear, next week is gonna be a shortened gathering. We're trying to keep it to about an hour and 15 minutes. Who believes in miracles? Okay, and then uh, each table will be given a map and we're hoping everyone can participate. If you can't, because you're not able to walk that much, there'll be a table that stays behind to intercede and pray for divine appointments. And so there's something for you to do. Then following the canvassing of the neighborhood, we're actually gonna have lunch here. So you can come back for some hot dogs and we can share um, some stories about how God moved in this simple act of kindness. Sound good? Okay,
2: awesome. All right, thank you, Pastor. Uh, so having said that, I would like to you getting your feet. We're going to pray for our offering. And I wanted to remind you that we have three ways of giving. You can come to the basket on front. The offering buckets. They are are in the back, okay? And for those who are watching us online, can write down, check, and can send it to the address that is on the screen. And also you can do it through our website, okay? And and I want to tell you this. Sometimes we expect that life change around us. And we are in the receiving end, expecting that something happens and our situation change. But the reality is that the change starts from inside. Your lack of financial, your lack of, of money or to cover bill or anything, well, the change that needs to take place is you need to move in faith and you need to start sowing the seeds of finance. You need to be generous. You need to be able to be in the position to bless others. Not just counting, not just thinking yourself all the time, or, or need, the, no. Be in the position where you can bless those in need. That you not come to the church to be blessed, or, or be helped by the church, but be able to you be one of those that is getting the joy through your finance, through your time, to your talent, and, That is like everything else. Some people say, I don't have a lot of Uh, friends. You need to show yourself friendly. Do you have friends? Do you think people don't have time to you? Because maybe you don't have time for anybody. It's bad time in people. And you're going to see how you're going to start receiving that. So how you perceive life, how you perceive yourself, many times need to change, to change take place around you. Okay, so let's pray. The, let's uh, thank God for being Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Okay, we are not living thinking with a mentality or a casery. We're living with a mentality of abundance. What you have is not the last thing you're going to have. You're going to have much more. But you need to live in that way, expecting that things will get better and you can be generous. You can give. You can help. And everything will be back to you. That is what the the Bible says. Amen. If you believe it, let's pray. Father God, we give you glory. We thank you, Lord, because you are so wonderful. Thank you, Lord, because you don't treat us the way we treat you. You are so loving, God, and you cover us with blessing and provision, not just for our need, but. We, you enable us, Father, we can be blessing. That is the point, that the community around us, the neighborhood around us, free people who are friends with us, can see us as a way of blessing. We have an open heart, we have an open hand, and we're gonna help and give and do whatever we can, Father. In the name of Jesus, We give you glory, and we thank you for everything you're doing in us every day. Help us, Father, to collaborate with you and be a channel of blessing to everyone surrounding us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. I think so. Let's go.